Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. This week on our episode, we are going live from the No 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 Till Conference. Uh, we will be talking about some new equipment. Our spotlight will be on meatless meats or the meat of the future. In our Ag History Minute, we'll talk a little bit about soil conservation. A uh, little word from NAICC. Uh, some cool beans, and that's corny. A little update from last week's episode, actually. And uh, for you applied what, we will be talking about pyrethroids. So, with me today, as always, Todd Schomburg. Hey, Max. And on the call-in line, Matt Brueger. Hey, guys. And I'm Max Garvey, and we are all with Tilt Talk Radio. And we got Matt looking live from the No-Till Conference. So he is... Uh, He's there live with us. Me and Max are in studio, and uh, Matt is coming to us live from out there. So, want to get her started, Matt? Sure. Yeah, uh, down here in uh, wonderful St. Louis, Missouri. How is St. Louis, Missouri? Is it great? Uh, it, it, it's pretty good. Uh, last night we had some thunderstorms, and uh, I guess that's going to carry into the day. Tornadoes? Uh, Any tornadoes? Max gets this one. Tornadoes? No, <laughs> no. exactly. No tornadoes in January. It's not a thing. No, it, it was uh, it was weird last night. We went out to dinner, uh, caught an Uber, and it was just pouring rain and lightning in the sky. And it's like, well, this is weird. Yeah. Did I you... don't remember lightning in January up by us. So no, it's... no. Do you want to you want to give a little plug on where you went out to eat last night, or did you just go to Arby's? No, uh, we went to Sugarfire Smokehouse, which was a barbecue joint here in St. Louis, and it was very good. Gotta love that barbecue. Sweet. Go for barbecue. Sweet. I think it's unwritten rule or written rule, maybe even. I think it's written down. I think it's actually on a stone tablet chiseled in there back in the day uh, that you have to get barbecue in St. Louis. So, But, uh, yeah, no, it was an interesting drive down. You know, we've been experiencing warmer than average temperatures um, by us. And down here, it's a good 20 degrees warmer than it is at home. So, and so they're getting a little bit of a different weather than they're used to down here as well. So it's, it's different. You got your shorts on yet? No, but I, I probably could have worn them last night. It was 50 degrees out at 7 o'clock last night. Nice. Any any crops still out there on your drive down, did you see? Yeah, I was really surprised to see some soybeans out there in Oof. Illinois. Okay. Um, you're going through. And just as we pulled into St. Louis last night, there was some pretty rough-looking corn to get some combined uh, just on the edge of town. So there's even down here, there's still crops standing out in the field. So, so it's just like you're at home, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little less corn standing down here. <laughs> um, have you guys? Uh, I heard you. You might have went to a hockey game since you got to St. Louis. How was that? Yeah, no, I uh, was fortunate to get some invited to go to a St. Louis Blues hockey game on uh, Tuesday night, our first night down here. The Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. Yeah, did they win? Yeah, they were they were riding a I think a three game losing streak going into this one, but they uh, they did beat the San Jose Sharks by maybe three to two. It would have been four to two, but there was a little uh, have an offside penalty that eliminated. One of the goals. No. Oh. It's too bad uh, Joe Pavelski got traded before the season, or you could have seen the Wisconsin boy play. Yeah. I know. Being a pointer, I kind of wanted to see that. But yeah, exactly. It, it didn't happen. So. 
I wonder if the hockey that Matt saw, uh, what was it, Tuesday night? I wonder how that compares to the hockey I watched yeah, last Max night. Yeah, Max went to the uh, good old Green Bay Gamblers local hockey rink for $2 bush light night. So it's a little ripe in the, in the studio this morning. So It was a great time. There's a lot of Bud Light down here in St. Louis. Okay. Well, huh, fun fact. They ran out of bush light before the before the puck dropped last night. Before the drop, I yeah, and there was only, and, they, and there was wow. only like fourteen hundred people there. So I'm, I really, they really underestimated my abilities. I guess <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of disappointed, but so we then they had then they honored the two dollars on Bud Light and Coors Light the rest of the night. So it was fine. Did you switch to Coors or Bud? I I don't I don't I don't remember. Okay, someone was I don't I yeah, yeah you don't know, I did yeah. not get up to get a beer the rest of the game so. My little brother was there, and I would send him, and he would, you know, he's still working working on that uh, up and down the stairs thing. Sweet. Got him trained, so I was good. Well, then, you know, the more you drink, the harder that up and down stairs thing is kind of. Yeah. Precisely. So. Matt, let's get right into it. What uh, what kind of new, new equipment, anything kind of new and fun down there that me and Max could, could learn from you and hear about? Yeah. No, I... I'll tell you what, the, uh, there's some technology that we saw the other night, and uh, it's really cool to me. And it seems like it should be a new thing, right? It's adjustable angle closing wheels. So, you know, we can adjust a lot of stuff on the planter, but in uh, Europe and maybe even parts of Canada, they have adjustable angle closing wheels with the original angle that most planters are said to is designed for tillage, so being an also conference. Like, well, we're not doing tillage, so you know, maybe we need to change that angle. Uh, what I was really surprised was that it's been around for 20 years. Um, back in 2001 in Europe, they had that. Uh, the second surprising thing was John Deere makes that, okay. but it's not available in the U.S., and so now Yetter is actually... So they're, they're finally yeah. letting us in on their secrets? Is that the deal? I guess. You know, we, we seem to be playing second fiddle to Europe on some of this technology stuff, and it's kind of frustrating sometimes when you realize how long some of this stuff has been out in other places. What's surprising to me is I feel like the angle of the closing wheel is not groundbreaking technology that's not well, some new it's 20 year technology that's, that's not pretty some, neat. that's not some micro microcontroller that needs 47 different equations written into it like that's literally i thought where you going max when we're pimping out our planter with all this other stuff and we haven't got the closing wheel like thing dialed we, in? we literally can't just bang out a piece of angle iron that's at a at a 47 degree angle instead of a 42 like that that doesn't seem like that big of a of an advancement like technically wise but for what it can do for conservation and and for our planting, it's huge. So I, I don't I don't quite I don't quite understand the huge gap there, but you know it's here now. So Matt, what kind yeah. of angle are you talking that it's switching to? Um, you know, is it gonna? Obviously, it won't go in any more towards the seed. Then, right? That's because we're we're already that aggressive, or will you know will it pull out, or, or maybe give me an explanation of, of which way you're talking angle too. You're you're talking it down towards the seed, right? You're not talking um, like how we change a tillage angle where it would kind of curve in or curve out. Right. So you're 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 changing the angle to go down towards the seed, and it, it adjusts just like the. Uh, 
you know, when you're setting your planter, smoking head notches, you just pull it down a notch. And I didn't get a, a good look at it. They didn't have okay, a model right there, but it was, um, you know, I'm assuming like the planter, it's probably like a quarter inch a notch or something like that. Where it, you know, there's a, a set amount that you're changing each time and you've got a range there so you can adjust it to, to fit what you're doing. So if you're doing strip tillage, you maybe would leave it, but if you're doing no-till, you can kind of get to help fill in that curl from behind. So. Uh, we're looking at the design right now. This is the more, like, looking at the design now, I, I still am even more confused as to why it, it took us this long to get here. Like, it's it's not it's not groundbreaking stuff, really. I mean, literally, it is groundbreaking, but not it, but really. It won't break the ground as much. It looks, like you say, Matt, it, it's a cool adjustment where if we want better trench closure, you know, you make an adjustment, or if there is a lot of sidewall compaction... Um, you know, you adjust it that way or, or we want more seed to soil contact, you know, we, it's, it gives us that room to sort of play around with something more. I mean, I guess there's always, there's so much already to adjust on a corn planter that more may not always be better, but I think this is better. Yeah. I think we're always, especially when we're dealing with no-till, looking at it and that's a big complaint is I can't get my trench to close and this could make a big difference. I like that, uh, you know, this is designed, obviously, for no-till guys, but even in years, you know, like this past year where planting conditions were not ideal, being able to make those kind of adjustments on the fly and, oh, hey, we're we're not getting very good uh, trench closure, let's uh, tighten this angle up a little bit, try again, or, you know, widen it out a little bit, whatever you need to do, try and get it to work. Yeah, so I, that was one of the kind of neat things that we saw. Uh, the next one that I want to talk about was the DOT autonomous vehicle. And so DOT is kind of a U-shaped robot for your field. And it docks with some different equipment. So you can have a, like a fertilizer spreader. You can do some light tillage with it, like put a disc on it. You can do a drill. And so it just drives up, walks in, and you can have it go through your field and whether it's spreading fertilizer, putting on a cover crop, I imagine uh, they didn't show a strip till, but you could probably have to do your strip tillage. Um, so it's kind of that one is kind of new, actually fitting the new technology inside of things. Um, they're doing some demonstrations for it down in Arizona this winter. Um, so it's not like a pretty interesting uh, concept there. The field Roomba. Yeah. Kind of. What what kind of width are you talking on that mat with the drill and the spreader and tillage? Uh, I didn't seem very big. I'm guessing somewhere in that ten to fifteen. Okay, uh, that's bigger than when you said not very big. I was thinking like two rows, but you're saying it can do. But even you know, you know if you think about it, if you have a ten foot drill, but but you do not have to sit yeah. in a tractor well, uh, or, with it, and you get a fleet of these. Yeah, that thing no, goes. Yeah. like it's not. It's it doesn't have to stop work. to pee. That's yeah, it doesn't sure. have to stop to pee. It probably needs fuel at some point, Matt. Yeah, uh, they didn't really go into the details of how it's powered. It was more, you know, showed us the video and said, "Hey, you know, come on down to Arizona, check this out." So, 
Um, I'm not sure if it is. I'm, I'm assuming gas powered, but yeah, as far as range, I'm not sure. You know how many acres you can do in a day or any of that. They didn't, they didn't go into a lot of detail, but it, um, I'm interested to find out more about it. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it would definitely be cool to have, you know, to see these um, working, like you said, Todd, in a fleet, a fleet of these things just working fields one after the other, and all you have to do is move it to the next field, and it takes over. It's pretty cool. Yeah, interesting, yeah. Matt. Anything else down there? Um, so another thing out of Europe that was kind of neat. Why are we getting – you keep bringing up Europe, <laughs> all this stuff from Europe. Like you say, should we just go to Europe to the conference? No, that's no, great. There's some Europeans here and a couple of presenters that, that travel around. They do some speaking and yeah, and that kind of stuff. Dot is actually a, from the North America, at least. The guy that talked to us was Canadian, but... I was to say, looking it up on online, it looks like, yeah, it's technology out of Canada, so, yeah. Yep, so it's a little closer to home there. Um, but, you know, we've we've seen a lot of guys looking at the same thing, and we've, we've heard this with cover crops about, you know, letting the rye go up, rolling it down, using it as kind of a weed suppression mat. Um, we've had guys playing with that for a couple of years. Well, they had an adjustable roller, with an interseeding box on it. So basically it was small sections. They looked to be between six to eight inches wide. And you could do like a full roll. So you'd line them up and they'd roll the whole width of the, the implement. Or you could offset them and you could leave a strip where so you're, you're rolling everything around where you're going to plant to protect the, you know, if you have a growing plant, but a lot of the issue with crimper rolling is the timing could be kind of tricky. And you can also have it, if you're in a, like a strip till situation, intercede in between the rows. It's got a little deflector on the back and a, a box on it that you can see. And so it was kind of neat. A lot of adjustments there, a lot of, a lot of moving parts, but Potentially some kind of cool technology coming out of roller crimping and cover crafts. So, who who is making that roller crimper interseeding device? Do you do you have a name on that? I I don't. There are a couple different companies that they showed, and they um, the ones they this guy had pictures of were like demo rigs, so they were only six feet wide. Okay, um, real, real kind of small. I think Monsimo was one of the companies that was brought up, but I don't remember offhand if they were the ones building it. It sounds it sounds like a really useful tool, especially you know as we're talking more more and more about conservation and helping some of these watersheds and things like that. A, a roller crimper cedar combination package would be pretty awesome. Yeah, and I I. I don't see why you couldn't even modify it to do fertilizer where you're, you know, if you are rolling and you you want to put out a little bit of urea or something to help give it a kickstart right up front, that would probably be an option too. All these, all these tools sound not like not only interesting as far as like a no-till perspective, but also just time saving. Like we're, we're working on like, that's a that's a two pass 
two pass problem down to one. Yeah, right, Max. You're, we're starting to get into these combination tools now in the no till and strip till, which is really neat. Yeah, no, I, it is. You know, a lot of this equipment is all about making our lives easier, whether it's saving time or helping solve a problem that can be frustrating guys, you know, starting out with these practices. So, yeah, I thought it was, there were some interesting things to bring up. Um, the, the last thing I, I wanted to bring up, which I thought was a little bit funny, when you think about, you know, test problems and everything else, uh, in cover crops, it's a big deal. I, but, you know, more and more guys I hear talking about it, but slugs. So a lot of guys in these warmer climates have issues, slugs just tearing apart their, their cover crops, so they intercede cover crop out there and it's not there and they're like well what's going on and they're, they're blaming it on the slugs and so now you have slug bait you have these little implements basically that you can attach onto equipment that will drop the slug bait out for giving something to eat and keep them away from your crops it's like dropping uh, dropping decon while you're uh yeah planting corn yeah so a slug yeah. aside yeah we got sluggo or what are they using you know Ah, uh, yeah, they didn't see any uh, any you know brand names on the slug bait, but we'll, we'll have to put that in the you applied what segment next week. S- different slug baits. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a problem. You know, I've heard guys in southern Wisconsin a little bit talking about it. Um, one farm that I talked to, he's he's convinced he's, he's got an issue, but you know, just in general, hasn't been as big of a deal up by us. Were they using IPM, Matt, like when they saw slugs do this, or was it more of a, a preventative kind of a thing? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, some guys, you know, if they knew they had a problem with probably being a little more on the preventative side and being cautious, and other guys would only do it if they, they saw an issue. So, I mean, this year with how wet it was, raking leaves, I saw more slugs than I've ever seen in my yard. So... I could see the potential in, in wet years to having a little more value to the slug bait side of things. I was going to say the same thing. I, I think I've, like, over time, just paying attention to scouting over the years. I know it hasn't been a ton of years, but already I think I'm starting to see a trend where I just seem to notice more slugs. So maybe, maybe this is like a huge conspiracy theory here, but maybe with, with the no-till we've created more proper slug habitat and we're, we're ex- expecting yeah. to see a an increase in slugs well and you know it does make some sense you think about where do we usually see slug issues and in, in the garden so fields are, are big gardens and the more plants and cover crops we get in there it, it would make sense that you might see stuff like that move in and and we've seen you know i've seen slugs on corn and and doing a little bit of damage, usually not enough to really doing anything about so. The good part with slugs, too, is it's not like an army worm where they can come in and take a whole field in two days. I would th- Slugs, you know, we could scout for pretty easily and get ahead of them. I feel like we're, we'd be faster than them, you know, on a weekly scouting regiment. So that that's... You think. A, I, I think we you could. Think. Man, what do you think? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't see you know the the nightmare of losing your sleep in the field because the long army is going to move across the road from one field to the next. Um, I you know I, I think you could definitely have a population buildup 
and it's probably more cyclical, like you see with aphids and some other stuff where, you know, just happen to have bad years now and then. Like I said, the water years, I could see it being a bigger issue than um, if we ever do see a drought again. So. Good. Let's let's head into our spotlight. Let's keep it rolling here. All right. Eat and see. All right, Matt, I, I believe these are your spotlight spotlight pieces. Um, so we'll, we'll start with the first one, um, going into the meatless meat, um, I guess, what do you call it? Meatless meat conspiracy? Meatless meat problem? Meatless meat bar- Burger King spectacular? I don't, we can call it what we want. But anyway, Matt, what do you have for us? Well, you know, last week we talked about the, uh, the Golden Globes going meatless. Having this whole plant-based thing, and I, I thought about that, and then the other night I was sitting in a, one of the sessions here at the No-Tail Conference, and one of the speakers brought up meatless meat and showed a clip from the Golden Globes, <laughs> and it's like, all right, well, I think it's probably good to maybe expand on a little bit. So what I thought was interesting, and I'm not going to say I didn't necessarily know it because I, I haven't looked into the Impossible Burger that much, but. Um, the Impossible Burger is a GMO product, uh, and Impossible Foods does not deny it. They, they're not trying to hide it. Uh, they're not really marketing it that way, but from what I've seen. Yeah, I would, they, I would agree the marketing isn't, with all the anti-GMO stuff, they aren't like, hey, we're GMO, just so you know. So, yeah, I would agree with that, that they're they're definitely, they're not denying it, like you said. I I feel like, and maybe this is just the people that I know, the uh, anti-GMO people and the anti-meat people are those the, those the, circles overlap. That's yes, a, that's a Venn diagram right there. Yep. So, uh, I think some heads might explode when this becomes a known, like a well-known thing that this is a GMO product. Yeah, and it, it's soybean, so they use the theme of the soybean. Which is uh, I believe the the pink and the nodule. Correct. Yeah, it's, it's that material that that's part of what they use along with I think it's beet juice to make it give it like bloody burger type look. And then they also have soy protein in the burger as well. So. Yeah, one interesting thing was they could have used soybean nodules. You know, they they didn't have to basically make their own using GMO in a lab. They could have harvested soybean nodules. Um, broke those down, put them into it, um, but basically they decided this would be easier than doing that. So you wonder if down the road maybe they will have a non-GMO, uh, I guess if the soybeans are GMO, it's still a GMO, um, but um, you know, use real soybean um, nodules to make this potentially is potentially is something they could do. So Yeah, um, but yeah, I looked up to see what their company says about it and and they're all about it. They said genetic engineering is a big part of what they want to do. So they're kind of embracing it. And then on the other side, you've got the Beyond Burger, which that one is... Uh, it's interesting when I looked at their website to see their take on having genetically modified anything. They talked about how, yeah, we're, we know we get a lot of comparisons to Beyond Burger. Uh, apparently Bill Gates is investing in both. Um, they're both plant-based, 
And both of their founders have the last name Brown, but they're not related. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. They don't use any GMOs. They're soy and gluten-free. So they're they're embracing the other side of it. Like, hey, you know, I realize this isn't an actual meat product, but it's all plant-based without the genetic modification aspect, as far as we know. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic of having GMO, meatless meat, and non-GMO meat. Awesome. All Thanks. right, let's Thanks, roll Matt. right was, into the... That was uh, educational for us non, non, <laughs> non-meatless non meat eaters. Yes. There yeah, you yeah. go. Yeah, keep up with the times. All right, should we move into our egg history minute? Yeah. Rolling down the river, listening to our banjo music. Our egg history minute. In 1936... Soil Conservation and Domestic Allotment Act linked farm programs with conservation. Yeah, so in in the 30s, we obviously had a lot going on. The stock market crashed late 20s, and farming was in a pretty bad spot in that time period. I don't know if you guys remember learning about the Dust Bowl, but that was right in that wheelhouse of the, uh, the 30, 20s and 30s. So in 1936, they had the Soil Conservation and Domestic Election Act, which helped lead farm programs of conservation and encouraged farmers to replenish their soils to keep them, you know, do something to keep the, the soils in place on farms. So... And now today we're, as, as I'm sitting here, the no-till. Yeah, today you're looking live from No-Till Conference USA. So you're right. Think of how far we've come where we have a, you know, a full conference dedicated to that. And, you know, Dust Bowl, that was more wind erosion, um, which we deal with uh, in the central part of the state, you know, more of the sandy, you know, we're talking about blow sands, that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's other, other types of conservations that have come up. And now, don't tell them especially the 28th annual, so for almost 30 years, we've had a whole conference dedicated to the concept of no tillage. So. Good deal, Matt. So um, let's go right to you applied what? All right, Matt had these for us this week, so he um trying to trick us right from the no-till conference. So, yeah, one of the things that uh, inspired this part of our talk today is we're talking about organic farming versus conventional farming, and pyrethroids in this way, synthetic version of a organic pesticide, so pyrethrin is the crushed up leaves of the chrysanthemum plants. It's a good insect killer. And so I thought pyrethroids would make sense to talk about. Isn't isn't chrysanthemum like a children's book that you read when you're in like yeah. kindergarten or something? There is one. Yeah, right up there with uh, everybody poops and if you give them also cookie. That's right. So all four of these are pyrethroids. 
but one of them is a different active ingredient. Dang. Okay. So the four I have for you are Betacol, Targe, Hallmark, and Karate. Karate. Ooh, I like that. Max, I that beta call that just sounds different. Well, it, yeah, definitely is a product, so that, that's a good one. Charge Hallmark Karate. I'm pretty sure beta beta call and Hallmark have different active ingredients. I don't know exactly what the active ingredients are in Karate and Charge. charge. So I know there's differences in here. I'm just not sure which one's the odd one out. I'll, I'm gonna go Charge. That's what I'll do. Then, I, then I'm gonna go beta call. I'll go beta call. Yep. All right. Beta call. Final answer. So, Max, you picked up the right one. So, beta call. Oh. And that is, you know, flea and tick type stuff that you'd use. You can use on cattle, but mostly is used in veterinary practice with dogs and ticks and that kind of stuff. Sarge, Harlmark, and Karate are all uh, lambda, bimetrin, pyrethroids. So, all right, all right. Yeah. Update the standings, one nothing. <laughs> we should start keeping track. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, even dealing with a similar products, there are a lot of trade names out there. So, you know, it's good to kind of know what you're applying and look at the labels. Make sure you follow those labels, guys. Well, good. Thanks, Matt. And I, we know you got to wrap up and head to some more meetings and do some book learning. So uh, any last things you have, and Max and I will wrap this up in the studio. Nope, that sounds good. You guys have fun, and uh, thank you listening, everybody. Thank you for Dri- Drive safe out there, Matt. I know tomorrow, so luckily you're coming back today, but tomorrow we're supposed to get dumped on with some snow. So should be should be better uh, better travels today. Yeah, no, I, I hope so. It's a little bit of rain down here, and then... Once it doesn't turn to ice, we'll be good. Yeah, it's icy up here, but by the time you get here, it'll be fine. So enjoy. See you, Matt. Right. Thanks, guys. All right, Max, let's wrap this baby up. Um, we got one more segment of the cool beans, and uh, that's corny. Um, so All let's... right, I threw these on here today. Yeah. So I, I got the I got the, uh, the inside scoop on our that's corny from last week. We're gonna follow. We're, we're changing. We're flipping a that's corny from last week to a cool beans of this week. Is well, that where you're going? I would say it's an amended version of last okay. week. Okay. So um, our cool beans for this week is Ricky Gervais, the host of the Golden Globes, um, getting up and starting the night off by telling uh, the celebrities, award winners, whatever you want to call them, to not make a political statement while they were at an event that was making a political statement. But he was very blunt about it, and I really appreciate that. And he he also apparently didn't get the memo that it was meatless. Because I'm pretty sure in his speech he said, well, you're out there enjoying your $100 bottle of wine and your um, filet mignon. You oh, yeah, he said filet mignon. I, I'm no, pretty I, sure he said something about That opening was great, about though. About steak. Yeah. Like, you guys don't know what it's like to be regular people, so don't try and tell regular people, people how to live it. their life. Um, so apparently he didn't even know. He, he he may may not have, and maybe you know, he, they, maybe he knew and was trying to be like, I don't care, don't ca- yeah, I don't right. care. Like I'm not here for I'm not here for politics. I'm here for entertainment, which is a 
refreshing. Oh, that was very refreshing. Refreshing take. And and what is it, a ten minute open you watch on YouTube? And it, and it was great because he even, just made fun of ten minutes, everybody but... in the everybody in the room just looked uncomfortable, and it was just so much fun to see that in a way. So and, that's and, a good way to flip it, Max. Is and, that you know, yeah, the Golden Globes had this statement, but um, Ricky Gervais flipped it around on them and basically made fun of everybody there. So and we're we are absolutely not a political podcast. It was just nice to see a. Uh, uh, a celebrity kind of sticking up for the common man and and really sticking up for agriculture in a yeah. way and, and saying that we he does not agree and that you know people should eat what they want to eat um no matter what it is so well almost no matter what it is um so that was a that was a good uh, turnaround from last week's uh, meatless debacle um so we'll move on to that's corny What's the that's corny for this week? Super corny this week is the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, they're coming to town. They are coming to Lambeau Field. Historic. Lambeau Field. Lambeau for a 540 kickoff on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Uh, projected to have uh, 12 inches of snowfall overnight, Saturday into Sunday, um, to keep those birds grounded. Yeah, that'll be perfect. Yeah, it'll be nice. Um, talking to the running backs this morning on the news. They're they're changing their cleats out today, checking out the field conditions, making sure they got the right spikes in so they can run all over. It'll be interesting. The snow is supposed to be done at about noonish, you know. So I, by five, when that game starts this morning, I, they were saying you know a couple flurries, but nothing after seven o'clock really. Yeah, in the mor- seven in the morning. Oh, that early. Even, yeah, so. but the field conditions are still going to be sloppy. Yeah, with just the amount of moisture that we're projected to get and. The, it'll be 20 degrees at kickoff, but there's heat coils under the field, so it'll, it'll, it'll melt most of that, and it'll right? Clear, and know. it's always a little, you know, just a little, a little sloppier than it should be because of those heat coils. So they did redo the field all last year, so on the off season, put new drainage under that, all yeah. all kinds of new coils, new grass, new everything. So it'll be interesting. What I mean, that grounds crew does an amazing job, and for being what we haven't had sunlight here in Green Bay, that would cause photosynthesis in you know a very long time and they put lights out keep that grass growing keep well, everything mo- going i mean it, it's it it's moves january from what i understand yeah. right is that all the grass can kind of go in no no that can't do it on that field but not, it, not it, on it's, that one. it's synthetic mixed with grass right and then, then they almost have like a basically a light system that walks down on wheels and kind of covers it but i mean to keep something like that growing in january i mean that's awesome impressive. yeah it's very impressive, impressive. so yeah it'll be That'll be good. Let's. Um, I like that. That's corny. That the Seahawks can be grounded. The ten, the ten thousand owners that are going to show up Sunday morning to shovel snow for yep. minimum wage. That'll be good. Yeah, that'll be good. Get that Lambeau Field working good. So, Max, why don't you wrap this up for us? Yeah. So uh, we were joined by Matt today, live from the No Till Conference. In no, 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 No Till Conference. <laughs> you just love the no, no, no. Yeah. In the beginning, it's like <laughs> la 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 Lambo. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Matt joined us from the No-Till Conference, gave us some insights on some of the new technology that's uh, being adapted or created or just brought to the U.S. Um, uh, to help those no-till farmers and, and really to help all farmers kind of do a, make their lives a little bit easier. Uh, we spotlighted some meatless meats and the difference between uh, the two main companies that are doing the meatless options now. In our Egg History Minute, we learned about the connection between conservation and farm programs. Um, and then in You Applied What, we talked about pyrethroids and the different active ingredients. And we wrapped it up with cool beans, or that's corny, our cool beans being Ricky Gervais um, 
eviscerating yep, the, the meatless, yeah. the meatless political stunt, and uh, corny the Seattle Seahawks. So, with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Thanks for listening today, guys. Thanks for being here, Todd. Are you gonna say the happy farming? Oh, you know or, it. Oh, you, I've you been waiting for my my, <laughs> yeah, my, my moment turn. to shine. As always, happy farming. <laughs>